Joining us now is a man who was selected fourth overall by the St. Louis Cardinals in the 1991 Major League Baseball draft. He carved out a 13-year playing career in the majors playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. If you're watching on YouTube, you see me wearing my Cincinnati Reds jersey in his honor, the Detroit Tigers, and the Washington Nationals. He was a two-time All-Star, winner of the National League Comeback Player of the Year Award. He played almost 1,400 games in the majors, finished with 171 home runs, 633 RBIs, a 292 lifetime batting average. He's currently one of the hosts along with Dennis Farrell, professional wrestler Petey Williams, punk band Rancid, lead singer Lars Fredrickson, and hockey legend Darren McCarty of the Wrestling Perspective podcast, as well as the head coach at Adolfo Carmelo High School in California. It is a pleasure to welcome Demet Hook himself, Dimitri Young, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Dimitri. Hey, thank you. Thank you. That was one heck of an introduction. <laughs> with, the, with the exception of uh, head coach at it is Adolfo Camarillo. Uh, okay. I, I knew I was going to mispronounce yeah. that. Get your pronunciation <laughs> right, Mark. You know. I got everything else right, so you can give me a pass. So wait a minute. Before we get into your career, we have to start off with what is one of the greatest sports nicknames ever, the Meat Hook. Not only is it great to have a nickname, but to be able to also have it as a tattoo is taking it to a whole new level. So tell us about the nickname and tell us about the story behind the tattoo. Well, uh, let's let's start with the nickname, the Meat Hook. And, uh, well, during the era that I played in, which was the late 90s and the 2000s, um, you know, Chris Berman was great at giving guys nicknames and stuff like that. But my name came from Carl Ravage, and he was the one that came up with the Meat Hook on baseball tonight back in 1999. And um, let me say that name stuck like glue because – <clears throat> I'm currently 235 pounds now on retirement and handling my type 2 diabetes. But when I played, I was anywhere from 250 to when I was with the Nationals. Um, when I was the comeback player of the year, I hit 320. I hit my weight. Wow. And the tattoo? Well, you know, um, upon retirement, you know, I started doing um, lessons and, and um, camps and clinics out here in Camarillo. What did you call it, Carmelo? <laughs> All right. You know, Mark's not very good listen, at these things. One mistake. Listen, Dimitri, for a guy that made a lot of mistakes, you know, you can't be telling someone that made one mistake to yeah. keep going at it. Oh, oh, you got to ride. You got you to dig in deep. <laughs> but anyway, with the tattoo, um, I wound up getting it. From my tattoo is Omi Rosenstock, who's done over a hundred major league baseball players, and I was his first one. And um, I have it right on my left arm, right in the elbow crease. And let me tell you, when you get a tattoo there, it kind of stings. Mm. But um, upon retirement, I came back out here, started doing camps and clinics, and um, a friend of mine was like, "Hey, you need to brand yourself." You know, and I always went by hook or the meat hook, and what better, what better tattoo than the one with a meat hook tattoo on it? So well, I, I have I a meat hook cleaver, and there it is. And now I have it on hats, T-shirts, bags, you name it, cigarette lighters. I got to get it the meat hook. When you said branding, I think they actually meant, you know, on, on how you sell yourself, not literal branding. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's like how you sell yourself. I didn't. No, it's, a, it's an actual tattoo. No, that. Yeah. Uh, no way. 
you know, on top of it, you know, when you and Roush were together on the Nationals, you guys definitely led the league in tattoos, no question about it. So, all right, what I feel that I find truly fascinating that when we do the show over the years, when you speak to ball players and you hear a lot about influences people had on hitting and some of the things that you would never think about it. Like for me, Lenny Randall told us this story about how when he played for Ted Williams, Ted Williams took him out fishing, and Ted Williams told him that batting is a lot like fishing. He said he showed him how you hold the rod and how you have relaxed hands and things like that. And if I remember this correctly, your dad, Navy Lieutenant Commander Larry Young, used his flight training as a model for teaching you how to hit, citing relaxed concentration and confidence. What did your dad mean to you, as well as your brother Delman's road to the majors, and the two of you, the your hitting? Oh uh, well, um, I think that's just um, that was built by design and by nature, because um, once I had a bat in my hand, my dad's influence was more along the lines of having focus and discipline, because he was one of the first Black Air Fourteen pilots out there, and going through basic training. And being called the N-word and having to go through that struggle to become a pilot, this was in the late 70s. And so everything that he went through, he was bring, you know, he was teaching that to me through baseball. And a lot of that was having focus because you're going to have names called, how you going to be spit on, well, not spit on, but, you know, that was how black players were portrayed way back when. But, you know, now it's... You know, you have to have the focus of being able to do your job, basically. And that's basically what he taught me, was how to, you know, do my job and do it effectively. And I was saying with Dell, and, you know, that's what I'm doing now as a head coach, you know, teaching them how to play my style, and that's play with no fear. You go play like your hair's on fire. You play it hard. You play it right, you know. the Some of the unwritten rules of baseball is – how you go out there and play, you know, when you hit a, when you hit a ground ball, the shortstop and you're 100% out, are you just going to just be mad and just like half ass it down the line? Or are you going to bust your tail because you don't know what the shortstop's going to do. He might airmail it over the first baseman's head and you end up at second base and then a base hit. And guess what? Team wins. And it's because you hustled and just little things like that, that, you know, was instilled in me and my brother and that's what i'm teaching these kids at camarillo high school yeah you also take a look at your high school career at rio mesa and you you hit 400 you know never hit below that in in all of your high school playing times you you earned the ua today high school all-american honors in your senior season the coach there was a guy named rich duran who was a great athlete in his own right spent some times in the brewers organization what did he mean to your career as well well, funny you say that was because I had two years of varsity as a seventh and eighth grader at Alabama Christian Academy in Montgomery, Alabama, before my dad's orders got changed. We were supposed to go to Pensacola, Florida. I was going to go to Tate High School where former big leaguer Travis Fryman, when he was a senior at that time, was there. And we visited the school and I was supposed to go there. But my dad's orders got changed to come out here to California to Point Magoo. and so my dad had a choice, either stay on base and and we go to Channel Islands High School where former big leaguer Jacob Cruz went and we actually were in the same grade, graduated in 91 together. But I wound up going to Rio Mesa because, you know, Coach Duran's 
professional experience and the way that he sold to school. And that was absolutely the right choice. And when we pulled up, cause we drove from Montgomery, Alabama, all the way to Southern California. And that was a 14-year-old Demetria, eight-year-old Dietra. That's my sister right after me. A two-year-old Delman and a six-month-old Deanne. And we were in two cars. My mom was driving the Toyota van. My dad was driving the VW Radic. And I was in the VW Radic with him. And it was powder blue, too. So imagine us, imagine us looking like the Black Griswolds going across the border. <laughs> Your grandmother wasn't on the roof, was she? Right. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> uh, yo, and, and so and so on the way there, we go stop and and we fill up with gas, and and my mom fed my brother and sister. Well, fed all of us except for me, because I was in the parking lot swinging the bat probably 200 times during the time that they filled up the gas tanks and fed my brothers and sisters wow. getting ready to come up there to Rio Mesa. So when I went out and tried out, the team was already picked. It was like like early February, the first week of February. And, the, and once they game started in like two weeks from that, that point, and the team was already picked. And I was nervous as God knows what when I went out there and, and, did a couple of swings and misses, and then Coach Durant came over there. And he's like, hey, man, just relax. You know, everything's good. You know, because I'm in no man's land. I don't know a soul out here. And, and and then the next thing you know, bam, 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 I hit seven out. And then, like, a day later, Coach was like, um, uh, you ever played the outfield? And up to that point, i never been in the outfield. And I was like, no, but I can learn. And And started ever since. It's amazing. It's so interesting when you look back on careers and some of the things that have impacts that at, at that time, you don't like minor trades, different trades or the players that people bring in. So you look at what happened for you. Um, at first, the Cardinals depth with uh, John May Mayberry, uh, Marbury, Ron Gant, Ray Langford, Brian Jordan in positions that you played. Then Jordan gets injured. Marbury goes to the outfield, opening up a position at first. But then the cards make a blockbuster trade and bring in McGuire. So how tough was that period for you after you, you go up the Cardinals ladder, you know, you even won their minor league player of the year, and now all of a sudden they, they make this blockbuster for the position that you had earned and played? You know, that's funny because uh, I just told this story the other day, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, the team about, you know, not quitting. And part of it was when I, when, when I got called up with the Cardinals, you know, um, went through – all kind of, you know, ownership change, management change. And <clears throat> so it went from speed and, and, and defense to all of a sudden power, you know, with Tony LaRusa coming in and, and Walt Jockey being the um, general manager. So when now that happened and I wound up getting traded to the Reds because I wound up getting sent down back to Louisville and I was around my people, the guys that I got, you know, I got called up with the guys that were in the minor leagues with me for those five years, people that I knew. And they was like, you belong up there. You just got to get your mind right. And I, got, I just got comfortable with playing the game again, the way that I knew how to play it instead of trying to play Tony Belusa baseball. <clears throat> then went off down there, got called back up, uh, moved to the outfield where at at one time, I was a defensive liability in the Cardinals' eyes because they couldn't find a position for me. They put me in. I started out at third, moved to first, was in the outfield. 
And once I got traded to the Reds, Jim Bowden looked at me as a prized possession. He was like, this kid switch hits, has some power, and he could play he could play the corners, first, third, the corner outfield, and DH if needed. So, as they say, one person's trash is another person's treasure. And it's also interesting when you take a look at that Reds team, all right? You know, you're considered one of the team leaders in a clubhouse which had Barry Larkin, the mayor, Sean Casey, you know, Jr., Aaron Boone, and Pokey Reese, all of them known as great clubhouse guys and leaders. Um, you basically – are one of the guys that everyone looks up to that team, which at that point had one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, uh, 10th lowest, I believe at that point, you know, is in the playoff hunt the entire year gets Jack McKeon, the manager of the year award as well. What do you remember most about your years playing with the Reds and the leadership role that well, the players looked up to you? for? Well, <clears throat> well, that's a, that's an awesome one. Cause I love talking about my time with the Reds, especially when I got traded over from St. Louis because when I got traded, it wasn't like, yeah, I got a new opportunity. It was more of I was soured that the team that I came up with looked at me in a way uh, that, you know what, we don't we don't see you in our future anymore. And, you know, I kind of took that to heart. So when I went to spring training with the Reds, and I played with a whole bunch of them in the minor leagues, including um, – including um, Pokey Reese in the minor league. We were both drafted the same year in the first round in 91. And um, I played with Sean, again, I played with Sean Casey for a little bit in the um, Arizona Fall League. Cardinal sent me there after, after that season and obviously to get eyeballs on me. And um, I was helping Sean Casey out at first base, not knowing that, you know, we would eventually be teammates. And vying for the same position nonetheless but um yeah going through spring training and i and i was just i I just played with serious seriousness i didn't have a smile on my face or anything i'll just you know basically come in and do my job leave and um barry larkin pulled me aside and and he was like hey you know i heard from the guys that you're a good guy You, you play hard and this that and the other i remember what you did when you played against us last year and um and he was just basically saying we have fun here i don't know how it was over there don't care but over here <clears throat> we put in our work and we have a good time and we have fun doing it and he, and he said look around and you know i'm standing at shortstop because he called me over there and i'm looking out and it was like a like if you was at a dog on fourth of july barbecue you know, it was just like everybody laughing, having fun, but they were getting their work in, catching fly balls and the grunt. They, they was doing everything, but they was doing it in a sense where you got to remember this game is fun. And he said, if you, if you, if I don't see you smiling and having a good time like the rest of us, I know you ain't making any money yet, but I'm going to find you $100 every day. Yeah, that's when the smile came and never left. <laughs> And that's and that's when my career took off because at that point I felt as though it was a family that Barry Larkin turned it into a family and 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 I was able to grow not only as a ball player but as a person too. I mean, I bumped my head quite a few times along the way, but I'm 47. I'm still here teaching now, so I must have you know did something right after all those wrongs. I mean, just AJ Card. I'm- 
I find it fascinating what you said, nice words about Jim Bowden. And I can see you might feel you developed a complex as your career developed. You think you're doing well in St. Louis, they trade for McGuire. You get to Cincinnati, you do very well. And then Jim Bowden starts talking, saying nice things about Deion Sanders to replace you. So I, did you have a point where you felt, you know, we had a falling out with Jim Bowden and then patched that up when he signed you for Washington? What can you talk about your relationship with Jim Bowden over the years? Well, I never had a bad relationship with Jim. He actually did me a favor after the 2001 season to, to get me um, to Detroit. And, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I was thankful that he allowed me to have four years to flourish as a ball player to be able to get to a point where another team would want me. So I looked at getting traded to Detroit more of a blessing in the skies. Like, hey, this team wants me to get them out of the crapper and – and help them, you know, get back to the promised land that they once flourished in. And so I looked at that as gold. And then my exit out of Detroit was not exactly stellar. So it was good to have that good relationship with Jim Bowden because he was the only one that would touch me in 2007. And because of that, and it was, I was surrounded with, and I called it Cincinnati East. Because Bob, Bob Boone was over there. It was a whole bunch of people that were in Cincinnati that were now over at Jose Cardinal. And, you know, people that I knew from my Cincinnati days were now over here with the Nationals. And some of my best days as a ball player was as a Cincinnati Reds around that kind of surrounding. Lenny Harris was my – he was if I'm Rocky, he was, he was Mickey. No, no, you, you know. can't call him Mickey. You, you, I'm a, very good friends with Lenny, and Lenny can only be called by all time. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm just, no. no. All time. That and Coop. That and Coop. Exactly. But, um, but I'm, just, I'm just making that metaphor for people that are trying to I picture. And, um, yeah, I mean, he'll, we'll be up early every day at 6 o'clock. He's like, come on, Big D, you know they don't want to see you make it. And I'm like, yeah, they don't. And I'm just working and working and working. And at the same and at the same time, falling back in love with the game. And then Jim Bowden gave me an opportunity to come up because I was in accelerated camp. I wasn't even in big league camp. And so I did my stint down there. It was with Tony Batista. And then it was a whole bunch of minor leaguers that they had their eye on, but didn't want to bring them up to big league camp just yet. That included John Lennon, um, uh, Ian Desmond, Chris Marrero, guys like that, um, Craig Stamen. And um, and I fell in love with the game because the stuff that I went through in Detroit that year, they didn't they didn't know or did, they didn't care. They was like, how was it facing Pedro Martinez? Or how was it playing at this stadium? And you know what? It went it, it went back to, to the roots of why I love baseball. And then because of that, had a couple of good games in front of Bowden, and they was like, <clears throat> we think you're ready to um, take this job. And I went up there, and I didn't disappoint. And I wound up finishing my career on a high note and got into coaching. And I've been on the amateur side doing stuff with MLB and the Players Association, doing a breakthrough series, doing the Elite Development Invitational, which is now the Hank Aaron Invitational Um Coached at Oaks Christian High School with Royce Clayton and Jeff Weaver, and now I took over at Camarillo High School, which I went to Rio Mesa. That was my high school, and that's the rival to Camarillo High School, which was Delman's High School. Oh, wow. 
That's very cool. The way it came from, uh, full circle. One of the other things that we wanted to touch on a little bit was when you were with the Cincinnati Reds, you started collecting baseball cards in 2000, a collection that grew to be one of the greatest rookie card collections in the country. What was it about collecting that appealed to you so much? And what was the one card, the one rookie card that was the holy grail for you? Oh, well, um, well, baseball cards actually was what got me into baseball. Really, outside of practicing with my dad, you know. And, yeah, I'm 47, so when we were growing up in the 80s, they would have at the concession stand on top of a hot dog and, and uh, Coca-Cola, they would have a box of baseball cards on the side, 25 cents each, then later 35 cents, then 50 cents, and whatever the price is now, you, you see what I'm getting at. But anyway, you know, I would go and I'd get me a couple of cards, you know. Here, 50 cents, let me get two packs. And I always liked the rookie cards because when I started playing baseball, it was in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the top water ties were in neighboring city, Norfolk. And my dad and I went to quite a few of those ball games and got to see Dwight Gooden in AAA, got to see uh, Dale Strawberry in AAA, and see those different guys that moved up through the Mets organization, which was my team growing up, in case you were wondering. And, um, and so, you know, you get the 84 tops and you got the got my Daryl Strawberry rookie. I'm like, oh, man, yeah, I'm going to be collecting cards and stuff. And, and that's how it started. And then, you know, when you have bad grades and your parents want to punish you, you know, one of it was uh, ass whooping. And the other one was um, we're going to throw out your baseball cards. This is your prized possession. You no longer have it. So the – whole thing about collecting cards once I got to the big leagues was more of a uh, middle finger F you to my folks. <laughs> <laughs> so what, one question I want to ask you before we let you oh, know. Oh, oh yeah, hold on. Is, I forgot to yeah. tell you the uh, Holy Grail. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'll let y'all guess. Oh, it's the Clemente card. It's got to be. Eh. No? Get one, but no. Uh, the Dimitri Young rookie card. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Uh, uh, you Hold know, me. we're going to throw that one out. Right. We're going to throw that so, out. We still have like one. I, I, I assume, I mean, for a lot of collectors, is the Mickey Mantle because it was the original, like, 50. So, Mantle? I did not I did not have that one. Okay. Um, I don't know. Better make give, this one count. Give, <laughs> give us a hint. Oh, my God. If I give you a hint, it's easily yeah. answered. Right. Okay. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. He, he's actually he's actually my all time favorite player. Henry Aaron. Yep. There okay. we go. All right. That makes sense considering that. You know, <laughs> that's great. That, that's good stuff. AJ, you had a question yeah, before I, we wrap. Ask a question. Uh, you mentioned this before about the effect on your life with diabetes, being diagnosed with that. How were you diagnosed? How did you realize that? And what happened after that? How much did that affect your baseball life and your life now? Well, it was out there, the disastrous 2006. I was, I was in Florida. I was attempting to patch things up with the ex. Didn't happen. But um, I just got real sick. My eyes got real blurry. I had a, a wound that didn't heal. And, and I knew something was going on. And it wasn't until uh, night I got real sick and... I just remember talking delirious and made a call to the ambulance to take me to like a 
like an urgent care. And then when they got in there, my blood sugar was at like an 897. And then they rushed me to Cleveland Clinic. My A1C was like 21. And then they got down to 893. And they, was, they said, dude, you're supposed to be dead. And, and, and then that's how I found out that I was diabetic because I didn't know beforehand. And from there, we just went on and, um, it took a few years really after going through all of that. And it took a few years to, for the lifestyle change to kick in. And once that wound up happening and changed the diet and, um, got me a good woman and everything changed for me. And then all of a sudden the weight started coming off and yeah, like I said, I'm about 235 now and I've been, been this size since 2011. And so, you know, I attribute that to, you know, just cleaning up my act. And, and I guess now being a, a coach and a teacher where, where kids, uh, they go in through their problems and stuff and it's, and when you have stuff that you've been through and it's also been documented, they can Google me and like, oh, dang, coach, I didn't know you did all this crap. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, yeah, I messed up. But you know what? What makes the man is how you bounce back. You know, when you bounce back and you and you take account accountability for your actions, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and you use that change in a positive, you know, that's that's moving forward as a man, you know you know and whenever you do run into a problem you run into it head on you don't shy away you don't back down you don't quit and that's what makes you grow and that's what these kids do well, if they hadn't quit for my team and i did have a couple quit but um yeah and they're gonna regret it too you know the going gets tough you quit that's not that's not a good mindset because now you just you taught yourself how to quit instead of battling through and because those guys quit, now other guys stepped up, and I'm I'm playing everybody. I have a Wu Tang size roster of 24, and they and 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 they all getting in. And for high school, that's a boatload of kids, especially, yeah. and and that was because of COVID. You know, these kids was coming out when they didn't have to, but you know they were they were they were doing school from home, so I'm pretty sure they wanted to get out of the house, and anything counted. <laughs> <laughs> but they came out there and they made it productive. And, and me as a coach, I look at that as effort. That is great effort for them to come out here and and experience this. So I didn't cut anybody, but when things come back to normal next year, it's 18 on the team. You know, who better to learn that experience about not quitting than a, a former comeback player of the year award winner in the major leagues. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, um, you're the head coach, but you look at some of the managers you played for, Tony LaRusa, Jack McKeon, Jimmy Leland, just to name a few. So when you're talking to players or running a drill, do you ever hear one of you know, those voices coming out of your mouth like, oh, no, I didn't just go there, did I? You know what? Uh, you named some good ones, but uh, I, I, for the last about seven years, I've been around Jerry Manuel a ton. And let me tell you, he is so – awesome to be around he he's so smooth and, and he talks to your soul he he inspires you when when he when he talks to you because i've been doing the the breakthrough series and the um hank aaron invitational elite development invitational with major league baseball usa baseball and the players association and 
you know, we're reaching these young kids and, and it's, and it's about inspiring and encouraging and holding them accountable too. It's like, you messed up. It's like, Hey, Hey, you messed up right there. This is how you do it. You know, we don't scold at them. We don't yell at them. I like his approach. I love Dusty Baker's approach. You know, he, he look like he ready to go out there and play. So I, <laughs> I, so I wear, I wear my jersey and stuff. You know, coaches wear the, the windbreaker pullovers or whatever. You know, when I ordered the uniforms, uh, um, Oz, the East Bay guy, he was like, hey, man, you want to um, get a jersey for yourself? I was like, you doggone right I do. I'm like, they look good. Me too. <laughs> Love it. I, I, a, I, you know, after the show tonight, I have to find out where I can get uh, uh, the Meat Hook T-shirt for sure. I'm getting that. Um, and for those of you that are listening and, and, you know, once you speak to Dimitri, you want more, um, make sure you check out his podcast, Wrestling Perspective Podcast. It's on Fight TV and YouTube. Dimitri, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks so much for being a role model to those young kids that you're coaching, as well as showing people how you can overcome adversity, as well as your work in the past with the Dimitri uh, Young Foundation, nonprofit organization that provided baseball and life choices camp for student athletes in Southern California. Um, we definitely want to have you back on because there's so much that we'd even cover tonight as well. Oh, thank you very much. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. If you see all time, tell him Mark says hello. And, and, and he'll go, go from Scorpions. fantasy camp for sure. All right. <laughs> I certainly will. You got it. The meat hook himself, Dimitri Young.